Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of the Writers Panel. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Um, I'm so busy right now. It's great. <laughs> this this year kind of took off like a rocket, and it's exciting, and I love the stuff that I'm working on. Um, but it means that you're going to get a short intro, and you're going to hear it again probably in the next podcast, which that's weird if you're listening to the second podcast. And anyway, um, here's the short intro. If you appreciate this podcast at all, if it does anything for you, please consider um, showing your support by becoming a paid subscriber on benblacker.substack.com. I really appreciate that um, show of support. And uh, it helps me keep the podcast going. You know, I love doing it. um, But you know, (laughs) it is work. That is benblacker.substack.com. You can become a paid subscriber to receive news about the podcast, uh, see some live stuff that I'm doing that's coming up. Um, You'll also get access to our live Zoom Q&As with professional writers. We've got some great ones coming up the next couple months. We do them every month, and you can listen to old uh, recordings uh, of the past year, year and a half of them on uh, the Substack if you are a paid subscriber. So once again, benblacker.substack.com. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. Please enjoy this episode. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Jay, thank you for chatting today. Um, just to, to tell the folks who you are, um, you're a writer and director, tell them some of the places where they may have seen your name on television and on movie screens. Uh, so I'm probably best known for a film that I wrote and directed called I Care A Lot, which in USA is on Netflix uh, and in the UK is on Amazon, bizarrely. It's on two different places. Um, I very recently made a TV show for Hulu, which I was a showrunner. And I wrote for the scripts and I directed it. And that was called Culprits. And then my first film was called The Disappearance of Alice Creed, which was like a low budget sort of calling card movie that uh, did very well for me. Um, so I think that's probably where you might know me from. Let's. I'm actually, the way you phrase that about Alice Creed makes me want to dig in on it for a second and then we'll get to the other stuff. But Presumably, directing was something you were after. Writing and directing was something you were after. Was Alice Creed designed to be a calling card? Was it you coming out and saying, this is the kind of movie I want to make and look how I can make it? Um, to some degree. I mean, it was it was sort of designed to be um, a film that could be made because uh, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd wanted to be a director from being sort of a teenager, I guess, and was making stuff on uh, home movie cameras and that sort of thing. Uh, and didn't really want to be a writer. I wanted to sort of collaborate with other people and kind of get out there in the world and do stuff. Uh, but then I didn't know any other writers. So I started writing my own stuff and sort of by accident, I became a writer and I got an agent for being a writer straight out of university. Uh, so for about 10 years, I was sort of making money as a writer um i sold my first feature script when i was about 24 and that almost excuse me that almost got made uh first with somebody else attached to direct then with me attached to direct and then it didn't get made but that was probably going to be you know if not not that low budget for uk but for, for the us a very low budget sort of under five million sort of film 
Um, but it just couldn't get over the starting line. And that was a kind of heartbreaking. So I thought I'd write something that I could just make myself. You know, I was very inspired by films like Clark's and El Mariachi and things like that when I was a teenager and thought, well, okay, if no one's going to give me the money to make it, you know, at that point, digital video was sort of breaking through 28 days later, it'd been made on sort of very, uh, very cheap mini DV. And I thought, well, maybe I can, I can sort of upscale this thing I've been doing in short films, which is, you know, making a 10 minute film for like a thousand pounds. Maybe I can make a feature for like, yeah, I don't know, 50,000 pounds, hundred thousand pounds. Um, but how could I do that? How could I write something that would be sort of noticeable, which wouldn't just be like a group of people hanging around talking with their friends sort of movie, you know? And how can you do it with without it feeling tiny and feeling enclosed? So I thought I'd been writing in genre before that. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll make it a genre movie because then at least you can sell it and make your money back. You know, even if it's not amazing, you can probably sell the video rights to Malaysia or something. Um, so, uh, I thought about what I had really, what I had, which wasn't going to cost me any money. So I, I was living in an apartment. So it's like, well, I'll set it all in an apartment. Um, I had a few friends who were actors who'd been in my short film. So I thought I could probably rope some of them into it. Uh, and so I just, you know, thought I'd have three characters, one location for the majority of the, of the film. And then I sort of set about writing from those limitations, really. I sort of set myself these limitations of what I knew I couldn't have. I knew I couldn't have big crowd scenes. I mean, the movie's a kidnap movie, and I knew I couldn't sort of have policing, police cars and guns and uh, big crowds of people or anything like that. So it's mostly set in this apartment, as I say. And sometimes you go out the apartment, but it's mostly like wasteland or woods where there's no there's no people around. Uh, and so it was designed to be very, 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 very cheap. And my intention wasn't to send it um out to production companies because i spent like 10 years of people either turning me down or getting very close and not getting made and i thought well you know i'll do it myself you know you, you know i sort of came to this point which i think is you know was very important for me in my career where i was waiting to be discovered i was waiting for a champion and i could see other people being championed you know other filmmakers of my of my sort of wave i guess not that i really ever felt like a wave i thought there was a wave going on over there and i was still on the beach really but um I felt like you know I wasn't being discovered other people being discovered and I just was really desperate to be discovered and then I realized that no one was going to discover me I had to sort of discover myself and that's what Alice Creed was really it's like I'm going to do it I'm going to do it myself and then as soon as people could see that in my eye people were really interested in it that I was going to do it anyway with it with or without them I wasn't standing still waiting for a lift I was going I was just running and if they wanted to join in they could keep up with me and Still, like 40 production companies turned it down, but um, one of them eventually said yes. And you only need one to say yes. You don't need all of them to say yes. If they all say yes, it's nice because you can have a bidding war. But if one, you only need one yes for it to work. Um, and then that that happened. And once it happened, I thought, well, this is probably, you know, this I've got over the biggest hurdle, which is getting your first feature as a director made because no one wants to give first-time directors a chance. Um, so I knew I had to make it count. I couldn't you know, make it sort of self-indulgent and naval gazing. I had to make it something that would grab people and make them sort of remember the movie. If they go to a film festival, you know, and you see a film that's made for well under a million dollars, you you it needs to be good to stick in your mind. And, you know, had, had, there's other films just before that, like Brick, Ryan Johnson's Brick, I found very inspirational. He made that for very, very, very little money. And it just showed what you could do if you're imaginative. 
and you didn't compromise on being cinematic. You know, you you had to be confident and you had to act like you're making, you know, a David Lean movie or something, even though it's a very short amount of time and very low budget. But it it sort of accidentally became a calling card because, you know, we were working just on trying to make the best film possible with the materials we had and like a tiny crew. And it was just like a small amount of us making it for, a, you know, for a year. And then it, when it got into Toronto, no one had heard of me. And I went to the Toronto Film Festival. And then as soon as it played, it was like suddenly like, you know, boom, everybody saw it as this like great calling card and was passing it around. I was like, oh, great. I should have planned to do that. But it was, you know, I just I just hope some people over here would like screen it and then I'd get some work, basically. But there is something to, you know, making not taking no for an answer, making this thing that you want to make uh, that, you know, the odds are stacked against you and you make it anyway that like, yes, that is the kind of thing that becomes a calling card. Um, you touched on the thing with, and I don't want to bring us down too much, but I want to ask, you know, I think you were in a position that a lot of, you know, new writers, new directors everywhere are, which is this waiting to be discovered and waiting for this champion. And I'm curious to hear, like, to what do you attribute someone who is discovered and champion to someone who, you know, pulls themselves up and makes it on their own? I mean, I really don't know. If I knew that, I would have got discovered and championed, I guess. But um, I think sometimes it's fashion. Um, that There's like a, you know, right now sort of like intelligent horror. You know, I think most horror is probably intelligent all along, but this sort of slightly art movie horror has been in vogue. And so you can make, you know, sort of a stealth art movie that's also commercial. Um, and, the, you know, that, that's been in fashion. But like, you know, 15 years ago, if you made a film like that, you probably would have been left on the wayside, especially over here. Um, I mean, we have a very different system over here uh, in the UK uh, because we have a lot of public funding so that, you know, that you have like uh, government money and sort of charity money that gives you opportunity. So some of my short films were part financed by um, what was then the Film Council, which is now the BFI, uh, which is trying to embrace new voices you know really trying to seek out new voices and you know they've got a, a wide net that some people make it through some people don't but you can get on people's radar with that but i think it's i mean i really i really don't know i because like you know we've all been in that situation where we go that guy really you know from <laughs> everybody's getting excited about that guy and it doesn't have to be somebody you know you know what i mean it's just like you've seen like they have like first three films and suddenly like they're getting nominated for all the awards and like i Okay. And I mean, some of that, you know, it's just taste, really, I guess. I guess it's um, taste changes as the people who are in charge of, you know, the gatekeeping changes. All right. I want to I want to move ahead and, and let's talk about culprits for a minute. Um, culprits feels like the culmination of a lot of things that you've been doing in film. Um, I want to start by just talking about like genre stuff. You have made, you know, a series of really compelling crime, you know, adjacent and crime uh, movies and shows. Where does that come from for you? I mean, I guess it just comes from watching movies more than anything else. Um, that I really like, a, you know, like a thriller is almost like the perfect sort of uh, sort of puzzle, really, to crack because it's got such um, a prescribed sort of shape. Well, screenplays anyway, especially feature screenplays, have such a narrow range of what you are and aren't allowed to do everybody expects a certain kind of shape a certain kind of length a certain kind of feeling a certain 
minute, you know, and they're very short, you know, compared to, you know, Cold Bridge was eight hours, so you had more, you know, more time to play. But you have this sort of, uh, you know, hour and a half to two and a half hours. Well, when I was coming through, an hour and a half to a hundred minutes, really. Yeah, that nobody would go to two hours. Even that was like scare the hell out of them. That um, you you have this very short amount of time to tell this story, and to surprise people, and to grip people, and to give them like this visceral reaction because you almost have a physical reaction to to genre, I guess, and to thrillers especially. Um, and I'm terrified of doing anything wrong. And um, I'm scared of people being violent, especially towards me, obviously, but like just in, in my vicinity, like the idea of sort of like people doing bad things to each other, I find sort of terrifying. But because I find it terrifying, it's also very compelling to like, why are they doing it? Because I'm a big believer that like people aren't monsters, they're not evil, they've sort of been led down a road that's led them to this behavior and even if they're doing like a lot of that bad behavior i mean there's the interesting thing is the why not the what for me most of the time um but also you know crime leads to sort of very high stakes situations where you can build compelling sequences and you can sort of use the tools of cinema which seem very adept to the crime story some of the earliest films from the silent era are crime films people are sort of drawn to headlines of crime right so i think there's a thing in us especially people who are law-abiding uh all, like all the time almost to a fault you know that you you are fascinated by this sort of other world and you get to sort of live vicariously through movies towards that and some people get that feeling from horror and some people get it from comedy i guess i mean i think comedy is so down to your own personal taste of what you find funny um but like a great comedy is can be the best movie ever made but you know comedy i i, I grew up you know idolizing extremely visual filmmakers you know like you know the kubrick or a pal and pressburger um and so you know i i really want to make cinematic visually like cinematic films um and crime seems to lend itself to that and also you know you the ones that get made are the ones that get made. You know, I haven't only written crime things, um, but after Alice Creed, you know, I got, you know, when I got an American agent after Alice Creed, like the first like 20 scripts I got were kidnapped movies, you know, and it's like, well, I just did that, you know, but then you get the, because you're known for crime, you can get those made if you go over and say, well, I'd like to make sort of like this romantic drama. And they're like, nah, we've got somebody who does that. You, you're the guy who does crime, right? So, so some of, some of crime is um, a thing that, I, I know how to do well. And so you can build your story around it. And I'm, I, I love those films of the sort of the forties and fifties, like sort of code films really, where you, they had to smuggle in things to get around the code. And I, I like sort of using genre and you can sort of smuggle things in around the genre and the genre is sort of your engine, but it's not your story. Your story is about the people and the characters. So I guess there's a, you know, there is an element of like the crime ones are the ones that got made. Um, and, but also, I don't know. I keep on going to that well. I don't know why. You know, it's like you know, it's like when you when you kind of want takeout. Why do why does your mind always go to like I don't know pizza? You know, it's just it's just like that's where it goes, right? So, um, so with culprits, I mean, you you were using crime as the engine, but you are getting to tell a bunch of different really interesting stories. Um, tell me about adapting that, um, and and you know how it came to be. So uh, I'd worked with uh, a guy called Stephen Garrett, who's an executive producer. Um, many years ago, I wrote a feature script for him, which is an adaptation of a sort of psychological 
horror thriller sort of novel that never got made, but we got on well. And so then years and years later, um, I'd finished making a TV show that I didn't write called Gunpowder, which was for HBO and BBC. I just directed that. Um, and he'd seen it and reached out to catch up. And then he sent me the he sent me the book, basically, and said, uh, what do you think of this? And uh, initially, he hadn't actually attached the book. He just attached the coverage of the book. So like a two pager of like the outline of it. I read that and like immediately my mind started sort of sort of going where it might go. You know what I mean? Sort of like filling in the blanks. And it was sort of spinning around my head. It was such it was just such a very simple construct of um, what would you do if you had like a big bag of money and you had the opportunity to become anyone you wanted to be anywhere in the world you know that's it's sort of like one of those after dinner questions you know like you know what if you had a big bag of money where what would you do it's like a good what if and like you know when you when you've been pitching a long time you know you get certain executives will say but what's the what if it's not got a really good what if what's the hook but this one had a good hook and a good what if and so you it's like what what if you had this what would you do and it's sort of the idea that it started after the heist like we pick all these people up once they've made that decision there's something very interesting in finding them in these situations after a decision they've made. And we haven't seen them before. So we can sort of like discover them backwards and see the choice they've made and whether they spent their money, haven't spent their money, you know, whether they've got like a glamorous life or they've got a kind of a humble life or whether they're still doing crimes or they're trying to not do crime. It tells you a lot about these characters very quickly, even though you don't know their real names, you don't know anything about their backstory and you just know who they are right now. And that really appealed to me because I'm not a huge fan of backstory. Um, so I, I really, I really like that idea. So I was just sort of spinning these ideas before I even got a chance to read the book. And I start, you know, got in touch with Stephen and started saying to him, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. And he's like, whoa, 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 let's make a deal. And so we we started just like talking like that. And so I was already like going off on this massive tangent away from the source material before I even received the source material and so that was the one that I was excited to make and that's one Stephen was excited to make and, and you know sort of lucky for me but not luckily for the people who wrote the book the book wasn't like a massive hit so I didn't have to it wasn't like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo where I, or Harry Potter where I have to kind of like fan service so I could kind of do whatever I wanted with it um, which was amazing for me because I could just basically use the bits I liked and use the ideas I liked but not have to adhere to the sort of the nuts and bolts so that's what I did. I just started like I, I very quickly had the idea for the pilot. Um, and originally it it was going to be a slightly different structure. It was going to be a bit more anth- anthology sort of. I mean, they were going to be linked, but we we're going to spend it's almost like like in do you remember in like the first season of Lost, you would sort of investigate one character at a time and then it would sort of like come together as an ensemble. The idea was to sort of do that originally when we pitched it, which was, you know, the first episode would be Joe, the next episode would be somebody else. But we'd retain Joe and we sort of pick people up as we went. Um, which we kind of still do, but they're much more B plots the people we're picking up rather than being the A plot of the episode. Um but I wrote the I wrote the pilot and then um wrote a Bible and then we went out and pitched it and then nobody bought it. <laughs> and then and then uh, Disney Disney Plus over here um, decided to start, you know, this star, whatever it is, which is like their grown up uh, sort of thing, which is essentially Hulu over over there under a different name, which is I don't understand it really. Uh, but anyway, they they uh, they read the pilot and they greenlit the whole show off the pilot. Um, after a conversation of like, you know, we just really love Joe. Can we make it much more the Joe show, make the other stuff a bit more backburner? Um, and can you make it 
eight episodes and then that's that's it it's done which you know in the pitch we pitched like i don't know like four seasons of it or something um but i was very happy coming from features to be able to just tell the whole story and then forget about it and get on with my life so <laughs> i mean you know i think you know it'd be nice to get the money from all these seasons but um i think creatively knowing you can tell the whole story and finish it and not get to that point where you know i've been before which is you get to the end of the story you're telling and you leave it on this like oh what's next and then you get cancelled or they they don't do it i made i directed a feature called the fifth wave which is like the first of a trilogy of books and then they never made any other movies so like the end of the first one is like oh we're gonna go on to the next episode now and then no there's nothing so that's kind of frustrating when you get get that situation so when they came back to us with that idea i was i was more than happy to to kind of bite their hand off really and to be you know to be greenlit off one of just one script without having to jump through like three million hoops to get a green light was quite nice it was like okay let's go did you um and presumably you wrote this um you know knowing you would be directing this do you write different differently knowing that you are directing your own material uh no i don't uh because i mean if i was the only one who ever was ever going to read it then then I could do that. I mean, you're re- when you're writing a script, it's to, especially as a director, but I do this automatically. I did this even when I didn't expect to direct it. If if you're writing something, it has to be an expression of how you see it. Because early in my career, I really, when going to notes meetings, I really clearly understood <laughs> that <clears throat> when I read a script, it's a very different thing that I'm seeing in my head than what somebody else is seeing in their head when they read a script. So it's not a shared experience, you know, like watching a film is a shared experience. It's like it's done. The script, people are imagining it totally different ways. And mostly they're imagining it in like a really terrible, rubbish way. Uh, And they're imagining the worst possible version of it. And you're imagining the best possible version of it because you wrote it. Um, And so that when they're giving you notes, you're like, but it's there. Can't you see it's there? But it's not. It's in your head. You haven't written it down. Um, You're filling in all these gaps and you're bringing so much to it of yourself. And so when I write, I just try and get as much of that on the page as possible. So. I try and get it so the experience of reading the script is as close as possible, sort of emotionally and visually, as watching them the film I want to make uh, or the TV show I want to make. So the rhythm of the words it will speed up when I want it to be exciting. I'll put way more spaces on the page if it's meant to be exciting, so they're turning the pages quickly, so it feels like it's going fast. The rhythm of dialogue is kind of broken up in such a way that. Uh, it, you can just tell how it's meant to sound, and you know when I start, I started off doing that sort of thing. It was, it was to make it sort of either you know director proof or actor proof. If you got, you know, you got a terrible director, you got a terrible actor doing your thing, that there would be just like a baseline of, like it being obvious of how it was meant to be done. That they, I mean, I think Sorkin does this when you read his scripts. There's not a lot on the page on Sorkin's scripts, but the rhythm of his dialogue is quite clear how it's meant to be said. And so when somebody doesn't do that, it's really interesting. Like if you go back and watch um, A Few Good Men and you watch Jack Nicholson, and this is early talking. So no, he, nobody knows about the West Wing and nobody knows about, you know, social network. And so you, if, you very, if you're sort of really kind of like steeped in his past 20 years of his career, then you go back and watch A Few Good Men. Jack Nicholson's just being Jack Nicholson. So he's not obeying the rhythm of the thing on the page. And Sorkin's not big enough at that point to tell him how to say it. And it just sounds so weird, this talking dialogue stretched and morphed. And it's really fascinating that you can you can hear how it's meant to be said in a talking way. So he was trying his best, but sometimes, you know, you get an actor, you can't tell him how to say it. But but no, I I, I always write 
to make the experience feel exciting, feel like the when the surprises come, hopefully the like the 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 lead up to the surprise is near the bottom of the page and the surprise is on the next page. But and you know you so you know I don't use Final Draft anymore, but I used to kind of game Final Draft with with spacing because Final Drafts like you can delete one word and lose four pages, add like at a full stop that doesn't even bump you a line and you've got two more pages. I have no idea how that works. It's infuriating. Um, so I don't use it anymore. Use it for years. Uh, I use fade in now. Um, it's like way cheaper and works better. And you can you can bring your final draft things into it. You can save it as final draft and export. As soon as I go into production, I have to use final draft. And I, I complain every time. This, uh, by the way, this is what the people want to hear. This is the inside baseball. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, because you you think you yeah you because you think you have to go out and buy all the screenwriting books and Final Draft and you know a lumber support chair and then become a writer, right? But you you don't need the books. <laughs> you don't need the Final Draft. Like you know most screenwriting software, most like twenty five dollars screenwriting software on on uh, you know on an app is just all you need because you just need something that formats it and can save it as the file you need it to save as. It's very uncomplicated software. Well, well, let me ask you along those lines. What do you need? What do you need to learn the craft? Well, I think there's an important moment. I mean, if you already want to be a screenwriter, you know it exists, right? So there's an important moment. Some people come at it quite late. They don't realize. I think it's easier now because of things like this. That's just in the culture, screenwriting, and like you know. Uh, but a lot of people I know who are screenwriters didn't even realize it was a job until they were like in their mid twenties. You know, what I mean that these people don't realize people. You know, that's a problem with screenwriting. It's people don't realize you you invented the whole thing. And you're they're like the you know you know you know people have heard of architects but they haven't heard of screenwriters, which is weird. You know, because like we are the architects of cinema, of storytelling, of uh, um, of TV. So I think um, knowing that it exists is one thing. Um, and I was lucky because uh, my dad was a writer, so I knew it existed kind of early early on because I was like doing my drawings on the backs of like old old scripts. I sort of had seen format, not that I read them, but you know I understand it was a job. Um, but then I think I think what you got to do is watch movies. Really, you watch the thing you want to write, watch movies, watch TV, and then try and find the scripts for them, and then read a, lots and lots of scripts. So that's what's what I was doing a lot. You used to be able to before you could before the internet had loads of scripts, and you had, you had to go buy them. You had to go to like you had to go to like conventions and buy. I've got like a Revenge of the Jedi script that I got when I was like nineteen, which is like you know you can barely read it because it's been sort of photocopied a thousand times. Um, and so I'd read a lot of scripts, and then when you know people when you know people started emailing out scripts for award season and things like weekend read now has fully loaded with all the award scripts. You now it's great. You can just read anything. So you can watch a film you like and see if the scripts and you can see if there's earlier drafts, of those scripts, there used to be like places online. I don't know. I don't really look anymore for like various different versions of scripts, like the, like the Mamet's version of Hannibal, for example, I remember reading that and then reading that actual script they made. And, and then you watch the film and you see the differences and you see the deleted scenes. Cause obviously when you get the, some of the scripts that come out, they've reformatted it so it matches the film, you know. But like, if you can find like the ones that I mean, the Writers Guild does this; they have early early drafts of scripts in their library that you can read. Um, but just read as many scripts as you can, and then write as many as you can. I mean, I would I would say don't don't do a class, don't read any books, just you know see what the format's like because you might you might think you're doing it right and you might be doing it wrong, but you might be doing it wrong in a really interesting way that because people always say, well, what's your voice? Sometimes your voice is that just like you didn't learn how to do it properly and you do it slightly weirdly. And people love the weird way you do it. It's like the Coen brothers don't ever use scene headings. You know, they don't use scene numbers, scene headings. 
they just sort of write it like prose. And when you read their scripts, they, they're a little bit disorienting, but they give you this weird vibe that is really them, you know? So I think you can read the, you can read the things later. Once you've sort of found out sort of who you are, you know, I started off very much as a dialogue guy. I couldn't, I was not structure. I was not action. I was just good at writing dialogue and all my sort of like my the people who I was trying to be. I might my, my I always think like a young screenwriter is a bit like when you're in a covers band before you become like write your own songs, you know? So <clears throat> or like when you people used to be copyists, right? So you used to learn how to paint by copying the old masters and re- trying to so you know when I first started, I basically kind of like take the plot of somebody else's film and then write my own film in, in it. Not that I was ever going to sell that, but it was just like an exercise that I did. So I was often doing that. I mean, early on, it was people like Tarantino, because obviously everybody gets excited by Tarantino when they're trying to be a screenwriter for the first time. But what he does is incredibly hard to do and even harder to sell. Um, And then I was really into people like, I'd say Sorkin, but I was really into Hal Hartley and Gus Van Sant and Whit Stillman, who are very talky-talky-talky. And so I was into the rhythm of dialogue and, and then really got into like European films and the darkness of that. But then I I started sort of hanging out with other writers and I did like workshopping schemes. I mean, I just applied for every single scheme I could and maybe got onto like four out of the 300 that I applied to. And I met other writers and then we started we started sharing scripts and talking to each other. And then out of that, I started working in collaboration with a, a one of those writers I met through that. And we wrote a few scripts together and we both learned from each other. I was like, oh, how, wh- where'd you get that from? And he goes, oh, actually, I read that in... Uh, in that script and I thought it was great so I just sort of nicked that formatting and I'd be like all right well you know I've, you know there's there's a line here that I really like so I was just sort of repurpose it kind of like with my own you know not stealing it but just repurpose the, the idea of how it works like kind of big chunk of then one word on its own then big chunk and then your eye just goes to that word um and then always just trying to get you know the half the problem of screenwriting is trying to get the sort of like the black ink on the page uh which is hell and then like you get to the middle of it and it reverses and you try and get as much of it off the page as you possibly can so the first half is like splatter painting and the second half is just sort of curating and dragging it all out and sort of le- learning all that is only done by experience so i think if you read read loads of scripts and do a load of writing your first script will be terrible probably unless unless you're a genius and then i hate you um and then your second script will be Exactly. Yeah. And then you show it to people and they'll tell you how bad it is. And you've got to take it on the chin and then you write another one, write another one, write another one. And then you just you do get better and better and better at it. If unless you're just trying to write the same script over and over. Did you find that there so moving to television, you know, obviously you had worked in it as a director, but did you find there was a difference in the way that you attacked story um for culprits? Uh yeah, there's just a, a lot of that too in uh in TV. I mean, I, I think because my sort of instinct is for brevity and to get get a move on um, that I kind of lo- miss out on spending time with characters that I like because I really like giving minor characters something to do because then you can cast them really well. So if you go back and watch like I Care a lot, you'll see that like the 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 jeweler and the the cop and they've all got a little moment. You know what I mean? That means that you or like even the you know the the big bodyguard you just give them a little moment and then it gives them something to do and they latch onto it they give a better performance and they're more memorable you know so um i've always loved that about the coen brothers they, they're very good at that and like billy wilder was amazing at that you know big hero of mine that like even like a person in an elevator going down three stops you know give him something to do um so 
you know, for me, it was like the nice thing I got to do with culprits is it's just to spend more time with the characters that no- would normally would be like the side characters in the gang, you know, who are uh, who just there to facilitate the main story. Whereas actually we get to hang out with characters like um, Specialist and Officer and Azar and Yusuf and just get to know them. And so I think the audience falls in love with them and gets more emotionally invested in their stories, not just in Joe's story. And for me, that was that meant that was just sort of like loosening your belt after a big meal that you could just like, oh, I can leave this in. Um, where, but the other thing, obviously, is I didn't know if I didn't know when we were making it whether it go out weekly or drop all at once, and so I did intentionally put in like a, the shape of an episode, which we didn't necessarily because we had no commercials, and like a lot of them don't do that anymore. A lot of them are just like it's eight hours of drama, and it's just arbitrarily chopped up, and I find that fairly unfulfilling because <laughs> like you don't just like well why are you stopping? Just keep going, you know. Um, why did they just make Killers of the Flower Moon? It's like it's the same as like a four episode miniseries that just keeps going. Um, so f- for me, you know, just trying to find what those were and and have those sort of cliffhangers, those unanswered questions, those those twists and reveals, have them earned at the end of the episode rather than just sort of like, oh, we got two minutes to go, we better throw in a throw in a twist. Uh, but it, but it for me it was like. It's not that different because you. For me, I like things that move fast. I like a lot of story. Um, I don't like kind of the soap opera thing of like, well, we've got forever to fill, so let's go as slow as possible. Uh, I always love the wire because the wire they'd raise like a storyline and think, oh, this is it. This is the storyline for the season, and they'd be done with it in twenty minutes in one episode, and then like four more stories will come up. It's just because they like they just had so many stories to tell, and I love that because it just really feels like real life, like stuff's happening all the time rather than taking this small thing and making it into like the holy grail. So. I think the, I mean, the, the for me, the biggest change was going from like working on my own or in partnership and being across the sort of the the genesis of every single word on the page, going from that to working with other writers in a writer's room um, and allowing them to sort of like, you know, at least, you know, start start and like get get as far as they get as far as they can with the script you know working in collaboration especially under pressure is something you have to learn very quickly when you're in a writer's room and and it's a it's a marathon so it's a marathon at a sprint pace well all of television is so it's trying trying to figure out a way with all these different kinds of writers who write very differently and all have different personalities um was was something that um I, i enjoyed but it was definitely something that was new and then it also feels like and and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this wasn't your experience, but like that showrunning aspect is sort of sits next to directing in that you are collaborating with a bunch of people with a bunch of different skills and you're sort of marshalling everybody's skills to move towards this end goal. Uh, do you know what's next for you? Is there anything you're you're after? Is there something like we talked about how you know, you keep getting opportunities in the crime genre, but like, what what's out there that you're dying to do? I mean, there's there's always ones that you'd like to like <laughs> you'd like to do. Uh, but there's nothing that's really burning because I think I, I got sort of like um, sort of very disappointed early on when I had things that I was like I so wanted to do, and I sort of devoted a lot of time to try and get those made, um, and they got so close. But you spend a lot of time getting very, very close on stuff. That, and then years go by and then they don't go. And so, you know, I just, I, you know, it's kind of 
it's going to sound trite, but I just want to make good stuff, you know, and as much as I can. And I, I'm not particularly prolific, but I'm working all the time and I'm trying, <laughs> always trying to get stuff made. Uh, it's just, you know, it's hard to get good stuff made, you know, and you, you get, sometimes you get opportunities to make stuff that's definitely going to go, but it's not, you just haven't got the faith that it'll be the thing you want it to be. So I want to continue making stuff that I write and direct. Um, that I, I am interested in like the grubby humanity aspect of things. I think that's where crime comes in because it's people making a bad decision in a in a situation where you can sort of understand why they're making that decision, hopefully, if it's a good crime movie, but you still don't condone that decision. Um, and so that sort of grubby gray area of morality, I think, is really interesting to me. So what normally happens is I'll read, like like I did with Icaro a lot, I read like a news story about these guardians being sued or something. And then I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I don't even know what that is. And then researched it and was like, wow, has anybody made a movie about this? And they hadn't. So that finding something like that where there's a situation that is sort of fascinating, but also it has all this potential for sort of like like drama and thriller and comedy and satire and to say sort of something about the world we live in. I think that's the stuff that I'm really hungry to do um, rather than just like pure genre or pure drama. Um, I think stuff that, you know, I, I really like entertaining movies. So I like it if a movie, and it doesn't have to be entertaining, like in a purely sort of like giving pleasure way. It can be, you know, it just has to be gripping. You know what I mean? That I like, I like to like, have an audience sort of sit down i'd be part of an audience that's just sort of sat down it's like we're telling you a story and you don't you're not going to want to sort of like look at your phone at all throughout this whole thing we're going to get you we're going to grab you we're going to tell you a story and i want to do those things i mean i i I think like a a couple of projects i'd like to do sort of um work in period a bit more because i've not really done that i mean i did actually i did that on gunpowder as a director but that was like that was 1605 that's a very hard period to do for for little money but like work sort of tell stories about how we got here. So the 20th century stories, I found them sort of really interesting, like, cause it was sort of a, a kind of a, a time period sort of turned up to 11 really. And so there's so many sort of interesting characters and because the, the, the view of history has been so sort of like based on kind of great man theories, like we've had so many films about sort of, sort of, I don't know, sort of white men bullies, basically. The, there's so many other stories that are really interesting. So mining history for those stories of people who, and there's more of them getting made now, which is amazing. And there's some really good films being made that finding these untold stories that sort of re reposition things that you thought you knew. I think those kind of stories are fascinating. Those kinds of stories are absolutely in line with the, what you're talking about in the crime genre, where it's about like people making decisions that you understand why they made them, but they're headed towards an inevitable conclusion. Um, there's real drama and thrills and uh, character stuff in there. Um, Jay, we'll end as we always do by asking you what you are watching on television these days. Uh, what movies have you seen lately that have gotten you excited or inspired and that you want to recommend to folks? Uh, I mean, I'll start on movies because it's like award season. I've been watching a lot of those screeners. Uh, I really, I really love Jonathan Glazer's film, The Zone of Interest. That's such a different kind of film and so kind of hard to watch and involving. So I, I definitely recommend that. Um, TV wise, I really loved I'm a Virgo recently. Again, that was just, so, I mean, I, I loved, uh, sorry to bother you as well. So I'm, you know, cause I'm really, big fan of Boots Riley stuff, but like that seemed to be kind of like wildly entertaining while very much about something in a way that is very hard to do and get made. So, you know, that's all. Um, 
Also, Swarm was something that people didn't really talk about that I really enjoyed. That seems really interesting. Um, right now, I'm catching up on Perry Mason, season two of Perry Mason, because I really love kind of like, you know, courtroom crime period. I'm a big film noir fan. So, you know, it's so exquisitely done. So like expensive and really good character actors popping up. It's like that's really sort of uh, satisfying and uh, uh, just like sitting down to a really good meal or something. So... I think for me, they're the ones that recently have sort of got me excited. Um, Jay, thanks so much for chatting uh, and good luck with the next stuff. Great. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure.